Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is August the 10th, and our chapter reading for today is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. As you can tell, as you've been doing your reading, the Gospel of Luke is a long book, and he writes long chapters. Remember, the chapter and verse divisions are only just a few hundred years old. They were supplied during the 13th century in the 1200s, that is, the chapters, and the verse divisions came some 300 years later in the 1550s, that is, the 16th century. And so as they divided up the book of Luke, there were long chapters that they perceived in the Greek text needed to be accounted for. And so that is why as you're reading through so much of the gospel of Luke is divided up into long chapters. But we come to the seventh chapter of the gospel of Luke and it's miracle after miracle. Jesus heals a centurion's servant and then he raises the son of the widow of Nain. Now remember that this is the same area where Elijah and Elisha came from. Nain is the village that's really closest to where Elisha the prophet was plowing when Elijah came by and threw his mantle on him. And you'll recall that Elisha immediately killed the oxen, offered them, used the yoke, the wooden yoke as wood to sacrifice unto God. In other words, he burned his bridges. There was no turning back. He evidently was a wealthy farmer and had means, but he gave up all of that to follow Elijah the prophet. And as you recall, even though Elijah is remembered as this great fiery prophet, the Bible records more miracles that Elisha did than his mentor Elijah ever did. And remember, the Bible is not complete in detail, so we don't know all that Elijah did, but we know that Elisha had a long and fruitful ministry. And when God allows the Holy Spirit to bring these things to mind of the writers, it is just notable that Elisha had such influence for such a long time. But Elijah played a critical role, not only in the time of Israel and the time of Ahab and Jezebel, but also in the years to come and the generations to come. As a matter of fact, it was Elijah, remember, that appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration that we've covered in a podcast past. So all of that happened near the city of Nain. It's called Nain by all of us, but this is where the same kind of miracle was done by Elijah and Elisha. But when we come to verse 18, there is an incredible story of John the Baptist. Now he is toward the end of his life, and I'm just going to read it, and then I want to comment on a part of this because it's just fascinating to me. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things, that is, all that Jesus had been doing. 
Now, remember, John is the one that heralded the coming of Messiah. And so when they began to share this with John, John, calling two of the disciples unto him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Now, as you read this, and it says that he sent to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? This phrase, the coming one, refers to the Messiah. It is a one-word phrase. It's translated as a phrase, the coming one, but it's one word in the Greek text. It is a description of the Messiah. And so what John was asking is, are you the Messiah, or do we look for another? Erkomenos, it is the word that's translated by the phrase, the coming one. This was always on the heart of Elijah, of Elisha, of all the prophets, that God had promised there was coming one that would redeem the people, one that would fulfill all the types and all of the foreshadowing of all of the sacrificial offerings. There would be one who would come and he would fulfill all of the prophecies concerning the Messiah as far as redemption and paying the penalty for sin and being the ultimate sacrifice for sin. And that became known as the coming one. And so when this phrase is used, it's messianic. So what John was saying is, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you the anointed one, the coming one? And when the men had come to him, to Jesus, they said, John, the baptizer, has sent us to you, saying, are you the coming one? Are you Messiah is what they were asking. Are you Mashiach? Remember, coming one is a phrase, a messianic phrase. Or do we look for another? And that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. And Jesus did this in the presence of these who had been sent by John. Now, why did he do that? It says, and that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, that is, he cast out demons, and to many blind he gave sight. Now, why did he do that in the presence of John's disciples, the very hour. In other words, he didn't just give them an answer. He just kept on doing what he had been doing, and it is working miracle after miracle. And then Jesus answered and said to them, not you go tell John that I am the Messiah and to quit asking that. He said, no, go and tell John the things which you have seen and heard. Jesus did this for their benefit. He healed people. He cast out demons. He healed people of their infirmities, that is, their illnesses and their afflictions. And so when the disciples of John saw that, Jesus said, go and tell John the things which you have heard and seen, seen and heard. Those are experiential things, things that they had given eyewitness to, that the blind see, the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached unto them, and blessed is he who is not offended, that is, that is not caused to stumble because of me. Now, Jesus could have just said, well, of course I'm the Messiah. John knows better than that. Tell him to quit doubting this. 
But John didn't need that. John needed verification, validation that the Messiah was indeed Jesus. And that was validated by not what he said, but what he did. Because Isaiah, the prophet, had prophesied, well, for instance, I mean, many places, but in John's mind, Isaiah would have been the great prince of prophets concerning the Messiah, because Isaiah told more about the Messiah, gave more evidences of the Messiah and and how you could recognize him than anyone else. As a matter of fact, it was Isaiah that had prophesied the ministry of John, and John knew that he was a fulfillment of that. For instance, in Isaiah 35, it says, The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. He's talking about the Messianic age. And it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, and the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. That's the mountaintops and the valleys. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Now, how will they see that? Well, he goes on to say in verses 5 and 6, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. Now, when does all this take place? During the Messianic age, the coming of the Messiah. And so that's why he says in verses 3 and 4 of Isaiah 35, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Now John's knees had become feeble. His hands had become weak because he was about to die. He was in prison. He knew things were not going well for him. He was faint-hearted and fearful. In verse 4 it says, Say to those who are fearful, hearted, be strong and do not fear. Behold your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, and he will come and save you. So Jesus quoted to them a messianic passage out of Isaiah 35, and there's other places that would validate that as well. So what he said was, go tell John, give him evidence of what you have heard, what you have seen, what you've experienced, and it'll encourage his fearful heart. You see, John had gotten to the point to where he wasn't with Jesus. He was preaching about Jesus. Uh, the Bible says that he was the greatest prophet that ever lived. But John did no miracle because that was not his place. That was not his assignment. You see, this idea that everybody has the same assignment, that's not godly. We all have a different place in the kingdom of God. John's was as a voice. Jesus was as Messiah. He was God walking, God talking, not John. John knew that. But you see, you come to a place sometimes to where circumstances will cause you to doubt even who you are. Verse 24 says, when the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak, that is, Jesus to the multitudes concerning John. You see, Jesus knew about John what John had forgotten about himself. Now, did you hear what I just said? Jesus knew about John what John had forgotten about himself. This may be you today. Maybe you're wondering if it's all been worth it. Have you been following a pipe dream? Is this all for real? No miracles are happening. Nothing is is going on that you thought it would. Nothing is going the way you thought it would. And you're beginning to ask, really, is Jesus the Messiah? The answer is yes. And that's evidenced in what he's doing in changing people's lives. I mean, Jesus has changed my life. He's changed your life. He's changed others' lives. There's no earthly explanation for the great miracles of God in changed lives. God's healed people. God's cast out demons. God's caused 
the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the mute to speak. God has done this, and we've all witnessed this. You say, well, I never have. Well, you will. But more than witnessing of miracles, we have the truth of God's word that bears witness in our heart that Jesus is the Son of God. The Spirit of God lives in our hearts. And so Jesus began to ask them about John, what did you go out of the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments, that is, nice clothes? Indeed, those who are gorgeously appareled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go to see? A prophet. This is what Jesus said. Now think about if Jesus said this about you, about me. Yes, and I say unto you more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Jesus is quoting this. He is the one that is the Messiah, and he's saying the one who prepared the way, my messenger, is none other than John the baptizer. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now, what was he saying by that? You see, those of us who live on this side of the cross and this side of Pentecost, Shavuot, when the Spirit of God came, remember what I told you back in the book of Acts? I want to just remind you of it. The great miracle of Pentecost, we get caught up in the miraculous manifestations of sound and sight and speech and tongues and all of these things. And those were miracles. They were miraculous manifestations of God's presence and God's miraculous working. But please don't ever forget that the great miracle of Pentecost is not those miraculous manifestations and experiences. It was that God Almighty, the God of the universe, came to live by His Spirit in the life of every believer. That's you and that's me. The weakest of us has the full Spirit of God living in our hearts. That's Jesus in us. The Apostle Paul told the church at Colossae, Christ in you, Messiah in you, the Anointed One, the Coming One in you is the hope, your assurance, your expectation of heaven, of glory. You see, Jesus has come to live in us, not with us. He's not Emmanuel with us. He is God in us. He's the Holy Spirit living inside of us. This is the great miracle of Pentecost and the great miracle that you and I must never forget because we are so privileged to have God in us. I mean, John baptized Jesus, but the Spirit of God lives in our lives. He didn't live in the life of John the Baptist because he lived before that era when the Spirit of God came to live in the life of the believer. John died before that time. Now, all the apostles, that is, the 12 disciples saved Judas Except Judas, every disciple lived before the time when the Spirit of God dwelled in men, and then after it, they experienced what it was like to not have God living within you, and then what it was like to have the Holy Spirit, Jesus, in you. Jesus was with them, and he said, I am now with you, Emmanuel, but I shall be in you. The Spirit of God shall be in you. And this is why Jesus said, he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors, they blessed God. They declared how wonderful this was. Having been baptized with the baptism of John, 
They marveled that Jesus would speak so highly of him. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. In other words, they didn't believe the message that was being preached. And the Lord said, to what shall I liken to the men of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another like kids. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourn for you, but you did not weep. You see, what Jesus is saying is no one could please them. For John didn't eat bread uh, nor drink wine, and they said he has a demon. Jesus came eating and drinking. That is, he came eating bread and drinking wine. And you say, look, a glutton and a wine bibber. Look, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by all our children. You see, It doesn't matter what Jesus or John the Baptist did. Even Jesus couldn't please them. Even John the Baptist, godly John the Baptist, the greatest prophet who ever lived, he was among them, and they still would not be converted. Listen to me, friend. Don't be discouraged today. Look up. Jesus came, and he's coming again. That's right. He's still the coming one. Because the work is not finished. Oh, listen. He paid for our sins in full. The debt has been paid. But our redemption is not finished. One day we'll have brand new bodies. One day we will be with him. And that's when our redemption will be complete, not just from the penalty of sin and the power of sin in our present day life, but one day we'll be freed from the very presence of sin itself. And so if people are not listening to you, look up. If people are listening to you, look up. And if life is causing you to doubt, look up. If you've got the world by the tail and everything's going your way, look up. What am I saying? Look up. Jesus is coming again. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.